Today we're going to talk about going from PLG to a sales-led growth and everything that you have to master in between because it can be pretty tough. If you're used to people coming in very educated and needing to speak with a lot of below-the-line buyers and having trouble articulating maybe the value of your solution to the executives and what the business use case is, you're definitely going to enjoy this one. Today's episode's with Molly McKinstry. She's the head of sales at Calendly. Before we get to that, my name is Jason Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad. And my job here with this podcast is to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a BDR, SDR, or account executive that's doing some outbound, you're doing some selling, you're doing discovery, demos, et cetera, you're definitely in the right place. So this conversation was really interesting with Molly. So she's currently head of sales at Calendly. Previously, she spent over a decade at Glassdoor, where she was most recently the vice president of global sales and oversaw sales segments across North America and Europe. So she's one of the founding members on the Glassdoor sales team, and she grew uh, a 10-person sales team to over 300 account executives and from 1 million in ARR to 250 million ARR. So it was very similar, not quite a PLG to sales-led growth type of motion, but very similar to where they were mostly a site for individuals to sign up on, and now they had to sell the value to companies. So she's in that same journey with Calendly, and we dug into a lot of things, a lot of really helpful strategies for how to do the uh, the PLG thing and how to really shift into more sales, you know, led growth. How to start conversations with executives. She got really tactical with like how to get a team to buy in to doing outbound. Um, yeah, we talked about a bunch of stuff. There's there's a whole enablement angle that we talked about around this and the importance of leadership and enablement in and their role in doing outbound. So there was, yeah, tons of stuff here. So without further ado, I'm super excited for you to listen to this one. Before you dig into it, do me a favor. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe so that you get notified of future episodes. Leave us a rating, review, that kind of thing. And let's get to the interview. So one of the things that really stuck out when I was, you know, doing a little bit of research was you have this like extensive experience at Glassdoor, which I remember I've in the last 15 years, I've spent mostly in sales and sales leadership roles. And then for like two or three years, I dabbled in marketing. (laughs) So, um, so we got interested because the company I was working with, um, from a recruiting standpoint, they wanted to really leverage Glassdoor and all of that kind of stuff. And that was my experience was being able to sign up myself as a marketing leader and set things up and do all this other kind of things. And then Glassdoor kind of explodes. And I think that was a big part of your role. Correct me if I'm wrong, was how do we go from product led to sales led growth, which seems to be like kind of the hot theme right now. But do you want to share a little bit more? I think you were one of the first sales hires, right? At Glassdoor, like kind of run us through what was, what was that like and helping with the growth and all those kind of things. Yeah, I would I would love to. And it was just such an incredible journey that, uh, yeah, it was pretty transformative for, for my career. So I was fortunate enough to start at Glassdoor as the 10th sales hire and the 38th yeah. employee overall. You know, the company was uh, doing less than, you know, 15 million of ARR at that time. Um, and it was, you know, the interesting thing, it, it wasn't as much product-led trying to become sales-led. It was a B2C organization so focused uh, on the candidate and the consumer that we were trying to build out that B2B value proposition. We know we have all these job seekers here. We know we have these candidates here, but how do we get employers to care, want to be a part of the conversation and ultimately spend money with us? But the parallel to the PLG, SLG you know, world that we are more familiar with now, I think is actually a really strong one because the virality of a product-led growth business, like I I have the very good benefit of experiencing at Calendly, you have all these pro users, you have all these people who love the product and are coming to use it. And the challenge is now, how do we get businesses and enterprises to think about scheduling and automation more broadly? So there's definitely a parallel between Glassdoor and, and Calendly 
um, and really interesting and unique learnings from both that I, I'm excited to chat with you about. Yeah. What was it like at Glassdoor when, were you a part of the initial conversations where you had to think about just messaging and value prop for a business? Like what was that process like? Because that's, I'm just thinking of all the different components that go into like the go-to-market motion and it's yeah. not just sales, obviously, right? I mean, there's a lot of collaboration across departments, but what was that like? And is there any kind of learnings maybe that you took with you into yeah. Calendly? Uh, it was uh, a ton of fun. And I will always say, and I, I still uh, feel to this day, having moved on from Glassdoor, the value proposition there was just one of the absolute best you could find as a seller because it would be the conversation that a CEO would take your call for. Members yeah. of the executive team would take your call because the moment you tell them that they, they, he or she, or, you know, their broader business is being rated and reviewed and people are commenting on, you know, the, the work culture and the experience that they're building. Those people want to talk. So yeah. the, the hook to get those conversations was actually just a ton of fun. And in those early days, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember we would, uh, stay, you know, Friday into the evening, we would, collect all the, the CEO direct lines that we could get, whether it be cell phone, whether it be direct line at a, at a desk. And we would call the CEOs after five o'clock their time, because, you know, if they, yeah. if, if they have an EA <laughs> or somebody who's helping managing their, yeah. their time, they've probably gone home. And so we would call the, the CEOs and, you know, there's only a small group of us. We're kind of in a fishbowl and we would get on the phone and say, do you know, you've got a 2.8 rating on Glassdoor? And they would say, what, what is Glassdoor and where does this rating come from? And it was a really fun and exciting time to, yeah, help shape that value story. And of course it evolved, right? I mean, Glassdoor really was the category creator of this idea of employee engagement and the importance of mm -hmm. employer brand. I mean, when I started, you did not have teams focused around this concept of either of those topics, employee engagement or employer brand. So it was so incredible to be a part of that whole market shift that now because yeah. of Glassdoor, companies would say, you know what, we just hired somebody to help us figure out this strategy. We just hired somebody who's responsible for our employer brand and thinking about our employee engagement. So yes, to being a part of those early, you know, value stories. And uh, it just was such a fun and incredible you know, value proposition to, to say. So to your question of what have I learned from that, um, you know, I can, I think, make it really relevant to deciding to come to Calendly, which was, you know, why is this a must-have solution for whoever the economic buyer is, uh, depending upon the, the ICP? And one of the things I've loved about Calendly is there are a lot of buyers for, this product because there are so many use cases for yep. Calendly. You know, you have revenue leaders who care about lead flow and lead conversion. You have recruiting teams who care about time to fill and an incredible seamless customer candidate experience. You have, you know, customer experience. Like there's, it touches just almost every industry and every sector. And for me, that was a really compelling, again, hook to everybody cares about, you know, efficiency and, and, and time maximization and, and productivity. Um, and it's been really fun since I've been here over the last year and a half to help elevate that conversation beyond just a one-to-one -one meeting. Cause that, you know, it's, it's just so much more than that. And it's really fun to be out there kind of yeah. galvanizing that story. Yeah. Let's unpack this TLG part first. Yeah. Um, so if you were to kind of quickly outline the parts of this that are really important, like from, for example, you had mentioned partnerships, there's a messaging component to this that sounds like it's really important. And then I'm sure there's another, like the actual motion of running more of this sales led, how do we go to, you know, that's everything from the cadence to reasons why we decide to reach out to people, what a good fit looks like, et cetera. Like what are the, What's kind of the broad brushstrokes of going from PLG to sales-led growth? Yeah, well, I, I, I've 
I've learned a lot about that since coming here. And I think the things that stand out the most is one, if you're a product led growth business, the the really good fortune that you have means that your product itself is incredibly viral and yeah. that without having people like me and, and my team intentionally focused and hired for the purpose of, you know, in, increasing market share, the product itself is going to have more and more people sign up and use it. Calendly being a great example. I say, hey, Jason, I'd love to get time with you. Uh, feel free to click on my link and pick a time that works from you. You do yeah. that. You love that experience. And then you go sign up because you've got to set a meeting you know, with someone else and now you're going to use it. So I think that when you decide that the, the virality of the product isn't on its own enough from a growth strategy any longer, you have to also decide what would the differentiator be between Jason going and signing up on his own for yourself and you know somebody thinking about this more broadly as part of kind of their overall technology ecosystem and and why are those things different and how how do we make them different if on their own at this moment they're not um and so that's where a lot of that kind of motion comes in right and I think at Calendly and, and depending upon, you know, if, if there are any PLG leaders here thinking about that sales led motion, why would somebody who runs a team, somebody runs an organization, somebody who runs an entire business or a company care about overseeing this purchase themselves versus just letting their employees go do it on their own? Canva is a great example of this. Um, you know, I know Scribe is another, there, there are a ton of examples of where employees can just go do this on their own. And so yeah. aside from just data security and compliance, which certainly can be an inroad, but usually you still need a business owner and a business champion to say, this matters enough team-wide, department-wide, company-wide that we're not going to kind of tolerate or accept our employees one-off doing this on their own. And, and this needs to be built in as part of our overall strategy. Um, so the, the broad stroke motion is, how do you answer that question? Why yeah. is your product uh, a necessity, a must have in that technology landscape? And why do you need a business owner versus individuals just deciding, hey, these are the tools I like and, and therefore these are the tools I'm going to use? Wow. Okay. There's a, so much that we could unpack there. So Keep going. are you, yeah. yeah. Are you able to share how that kind of came together for Calendly? Because one thing I'm super curious about is, you know, I'm a Calendly user and I've used lots of scheduling links and all that kind of stuff. And when I work with either account executives or SDRs, it's a lot of the times it's SDRs because they haven't sold the thing before. So they're not quite sure what the business value is. They're just trying to get a meeting. They have trouble, I call it chunking up, kind of like chunking up features and functions to like business priorities and like problems that get in the way of that. Are you able to share at all what that journey has been like for Calendly? I'm, I'm just curious how you positioned a scheduling tool to an executive who probably just is like, okay, cool, it's a, it's a scheduling tool, but I didn't know that there was a component of this that could massively increase conversions through our sales pipeline yeah. at the click of a button. Uh, I didn't realize how much waste there was going back and forth with our team scheduling meetings with people. I didn't realize that part of our attrition problem, and I'm just riffing here, like part of our attrition oh, problem. Riffing wonderfully. This is yeah. all Yeah. So how do you, yeah, what was that journey? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious because there's probably, I imagine you guys probably didn't hit it out of the park the very first time you put this together and tried, I'm sure there's, there were some learnings, but what's the journey been like for you guys? Yeah. And of course we're still very much on it. Right. I mean, I think any, any company in, in tech and in software and just what generative AI has done, even in the last six to 12 months, like it's, we're, we're constantly evolving and learning. And, and I think that's what makes these roles so fun. <laughs> um, and I also was not, you know, the creator of this initial messaging at Calendly, unlike when I joined Glassdoor, Calendly is, you know, as an overall business is far more mature and kind of along its journey. But I can share the learnings uh, since the the time that I have been here, which is really kind of you you nailed it, Jason, in this idea of 
how are we leading with value and business impact? Because talking yeah. about a one-to-one scheduling tool really doesn't uh, capture either of those. It, you know, you could say, oh, that that is a, a couple less emails, cool, or sure, that that saves me some time, okay. But you're not really painting the picture around business impact and like transformative business production and efficiency. And so those are the style conversations that we have to have and that we, you know, have daily. So to your to your example, which I love because revenue leaders, sales leaders, demand gen leaders, um, RevOps leaders love Calendly and our messaging to them is about those those business metrics they care about, lead conversion, you know, um, time to a lead response or, you know, kind of speed to lead, so to speak, how many of the leads that hit your website actually get to connect with, whether it's a salesperson, whether it's an account manager, whether it's a, a member of your support team, those are the metrics that those revenue leaders care about. And I'll just give the other example again in recruiting. Your head of recruiting wants to be very confident that you are putting out a world-class candidate experience, that the whole entire journey, thinking of the employer brand, is white glove and really special. And when you can show them that leveraging Calendly and thinking about the the round robin functionality, so the, the technology is going to put you in front of the soonest available hiring manager or salesperson or SDR, um, and thus increase your speed to lead or improve your candidate experience, you know, you're now having a conversation that's about business impact and yeah. you have their attention. And so I really encourage any any sales leader or any seller in a PLG organization trying to create you know, kind of carve out this path for sales led. Sales led to me has to be directly connected to value and business impact. Because if you and your sellers and your sales organization aren't producing and driving more value, well, guess what? You've got a self-serve product and they can go do it on their own without you, right? So your involvement has to be really anchored in value and and impact. What do you think is, in your experience, missing with even companies that aren't PLG, you know, going to more sales-led growth. I see this just in sales-led growth companies in general, where there seems to be a really big disconnect in how they communicate with executive buyers. It's it's mm-hmm. it's hard to point the finger at the rep. And it's like I'm also of the belief that hey, as a rep, you have to own your development. And you, you sure. sure. But right. There seems to be a lack of enablement or training around how to speak about your product to the executive, just like you did there, where it's like, yeah, what a rep is oftentimes very tempted to do is to say things like to an executive, uh, hey, Molly, Calendly makes scheduling way easier at the click of a button. You'll be able to miss out on less appointments in your sales team, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't really talk to what that executive might care about that, like you said, is value and business impact. What do you think is is missing, I guess, in that. And like, what job is it from leadership and enablement to kind of teach that part of why would an executive care about this? Gosh, I love this question. And I swear I could, I could spend days and days on the answer. (laughs) Uh, And it's, it's exactly why I, I love sales so much because one, I think that when you when you really break down what is the role of a salesperson it is to help somebody make a decision that otherwise they maybe would not have made or solve a problem that they may not even be aware is having as as large of an impact on on them as possible it's just like the the crux of human persuasion but I, I also think that the problem why why sellers aren't doing this well enough today is because it's the it's like the age old faux pas of making about it about us and not them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when you have an executive in front of you and you are are just like ready to sell your product and you're ready to close the biggest deal of your life, you uh, inexperienced or or not trained sellers will just go and make it about them. 
instead of one, really earning the right and building credibility with this executive, you know, economic buyer as to you understand a, a little bit about a day in the life. You you certainly, you know, don't hold their their role verbatim, but you work with and speak with a lot of people who do. And so you yeah. have to come with just like this credibility, earning the right moment. Um, and you don't make it all about them, you, about yourself, excuse me. You really have to show that genuine, authentic desire to know the, the challenges they're having in their business and prove that you have experience and a body of work solving them for others who are like them. Um, and, and when you do that, that's when it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, the light in the tunnel shines through and all of a sudden you're having a business conversation, not yeah. just selling your product. Um, and I really think the best salespeople I, I know and I've, I've come across are just absolute experts at building that trust, building that credibility, and not because they're being coached to do so, because actually intrinsically, that is how they're wired. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just said this to my team the other day, you know, when you, uh, there's obviously many stereotypes about, about salespeople and how, who we are and who we're not, but you know, people will say, if, if you're somebody who's able to negotiate and get your way, they're kind of like, oh, you should be in sales. You just got what you wanted. And you yeah. know, that, that can be true to a degree, but my view actually to see who really could have a career in sales is those people that when you meet them for the first time you just like feel so disarmed and you tell them your whole life story and you're like, oh yeah. my gosh, how did I just tell you all of that? What, what just happened? And it's like, well, that person made you feel safe. They made you feel, you know, like you could yeah. trust them and you wanted to open up to them and you, and you wanted to share. So when I'm, when I'm looking to hire and, and thinking about the type of talent I want on my team, I of course, want strong negotiators and, and all that. But the intrinsic skill is just a genuine, authentic, curious person who loves to learn and, and loves to solve problems. Yeah, I love that. There's this uh, book, my wife, Sarah, actually, I joke about she prescribed it as homework for me to read. It's called You're Not Listening by Kate yep, Murphy. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so you're aware of the book. But uh, Kate <laughs> Murphy talks about this concept of shift versus support. And it's very interesting. It's this. Uh, when people share things is your, our natural inclination for most people in conversations is to shift the focus of the conversation onto ourselves. So you ask someone how their weekend was, they say they went out and did a barbecue with their friends. You start thinking about, do I like barbecue? If I had a barbecue, what would I start? You know, you start thinking about all of these things right. versus leaning in and supporting and right. showing genuine interest. And I don't know about you, just in my everyday life, it's so refreshing when someone shows genuine interest oh. in you. Yeah. And uh, I love that, like getting prospects to open up, like those are the people, 100% I've seen in my career too, that are very good at this and especially showing an executive the value and the impact. That's sort of the trust building part of speaking yeah. to an executive is the proof point of, hey, I've, I've been here, I've seen your situation, we've helped a couple other people with it, let me articulate that to you and sort of yeah. build that buy-in. Um Oh, go, yeah. ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say the other thing too, you know, um, that I, I think what we're seeing right now as we close out 2023 and we're, we're going into 24 here is a, a very big, call it resurgence, resurgence or, you know, renewed reliance on, on outbounding in sales. And, you know, yeah. we talk about that a ton too, but this is so important as I think of an, an outbounding um, motion and muscle generally, you know, we know that. 63% of sales teams have said their inbound volume has decreased and they are needing to really rely on this outbound muscle again, yep. even more than ever, or, you know, more to pre-pandemic rates. And this is, I think, such an important thing to remember. In your outbounding efforts, your, your goal, your immediate goal is to not sell your product in your email. Your immediate goal is to earn the right to a conversation with that person. Because the truth is, you don't know if your product is the right fit for them or not. You, Of, of course, you have the conviction and the belief that it is and, and you want it to be. But I think in our outbounding efforts and messages, we have to keep this perspective of don't just go sell and talk about yourself. Yep. Earn the right to that conversation and the chance to learn more and to, you know, together agree 
doesn't make sense to continue a, a dialogue. Totally. Yeah. I always say don't prospect to make a sale prospect, to start a conversation. Like exactly. you're not going to sell anything to someone over the phone or through an email, nor they're going to be trust you enough to buy it. Uh, but start the conversations. So let's, uh, let's talk about outbound. Um, okay. So where to start? I'm, ass I'm assuming that correct me if I'm wrong with Calendly, it probably, there probably wasn't prior to you guys moving up market, a strong culture of outbound because you're getting like hammered with inbound and so many people just signing up. So, and this is, I have so many organizations coming to me for help. A lot of it's account executives too, where it's like, Hey, we've decided we're not going to probably do any more hiring this year. And we need account executives to self-source more. And it's just, it's like, where do you start? It's not even a part of their culture. Right. to do outbound. One of the companies I was working with, they even told their reps earlier this year, they would never have to do outbound because oh. prospects don't like it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what they're right. starting from. Right. So when you think about the culture, like the massive culture shift that that requires, yeah. do you have any pointers for sales leaders that they're in a situation where this has been definitely one of those years where we got to do outbound? Yeah. And now I'm going to be asking my team to do something that you know, a lot of these AEs haven't done for years, yeah. right? So how do you suggest that we get started from just a buy-in and a culture standpoint around where the organization is heading and how to communicate that with your org and yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So one, I think, of course, it, it it does start at the moment of kind of like hiring and team selection. So you do always want to be hiring for that grit, that gumption, that bravado, that hunger, people who are, who want to be in the driver's seat of their success. Um, so I do think that it is possible. You may have a team of people today if they've never done this before and if they don't have this body of work or this evidence and other examples of their life where they have chosen to be in command and control of their own success, you know, you, you really have to consider, do you have the right people on the bus to do yeah. this work? Cause it, it is different. It, it really is different work. Um, I, I'm very drawn to people who are intrinsically motivated, self-starters, super gritty, you know, want, want to be the, the person relied on when uh, the stakes are at its highest. And so I think if you mm -hmm. want to start with a team of people who really embody that individually and then collectively, you're going to be able to stand up this, this outbound motion. So that's kind of first and foremost. I, I think you've got to make sure you have the right people with the right skill set and toolkit to be successful here. And then if you, and if you don't and you start to assess, you know, what, what are the options, right? Um, if outbound is a critical must-have component for your sales and go-to-market strategy, which I think it, it, it should be and is, even if you're a product-led growth business, you, you've got to make sure that you, you've got those people. Um, so that's kind of first and foremost. Then assuming you've got the right people and you know that they have what it takes and, and they kind of have that like fire in their belly, you know, then you make it as, as fun and kind of team oriented and collaborative as possible. So you, you need to give them um, the right place to start and, and backed in data and conviction. So, you know, let's look at, our kind of one, um, you know, our win reports and let's see, this is the ICP that we're doing the best, or, yeah. you know, this is the, this is the, the group of either personas or level in an, an organization where we are having the most success. So let's start with this baseline of we're going to give all of us the best chance possible to succeed. And, and then the reality of like, well, what does success look like? And it is not necessarily that we are expecting one call closes. That's probably pretty unlikely. But what we're going to celebrate is, did you get a meeting booked? Did you get an email response? Did you yeah. get to, you know, one step closer to that conversation? Because I think if you put the, the goal stick at the very, very end of the sales cycle, then yeah, even the most you know, motivated and hungry people are going to start to feel defeat if 
success is a closed run opportunity. And by the way, you've got an eight to 12 month sales cycle, right? So you've yeah. got to focus on the process and the wins along the way. Um, and to the point of making it collaborative, making it fun, create team spiffs around this, make sure, make sure your recognition is you know consistent and high in a remote environment, which both of my last two organizations have been um, fully remote, obviously one post-pandemic and, and Calendly, the, the whole entire team is remote. It is harder to build that sales culture and that sales energy when you're not all on the, the floor together, but it's not impossible. So your leaders have got to be bought in. You have to have kind of like cultural stakeholders who are high-fiving people on Slack and doing all yeah. the things that, you know, are, are harder when you're not sitting in an office together. What would you say, what advice would you give to a sales executive that's a little worried that this might affect morale or it might lead to attrition or might lead to a situation where they have to let go of a bunch of people? And that's kind of the fear and hesitance around being a little more formal about rolling this out versus telling all the directors and then they they bring it down to the managers it's like oh right. by the way we're gonna versus it being like this is what we're doing as a sales work this is what we care most about right now what what advice would you give a sales executive it's a little apprehensive because they have a lot of people that they know are going to be resistant that are not going to want to do this which i'm yeah. seeing quite a bit of right now <laughs> yep yep well i think you have to any good sales executive, sales leader has to be a, a, a wonderful and powerful storyteller and should be yeah. able to influence how people feel. So, you know, a lot of what I view my job to be is to inspire and rally the team in low moments to do hard things and, and to commit to, you know, locking arms and, and doing so for the betterment of the business, but also most importantly, the betterment of the customer. Because when the customer's winning, the business is winning and the team is winning. So yeah. I think that you first and foremost have to look yourself in the mirror and say, do I have the conviction that this is a must have part of our toolkit to be success? Because you've got to have it first. And then in a lot of ways, I think you you kind of have to go first. So thinking about ways that you're creating a, a really kind of transparent and authentic culture where the team's asking you hard questions on all hands on the fly, you know, yeah. you're you're showing an ability to think on your feet, you're showing the ability to kind of be vulnerable and, and a little unsure, but charging through because you've got the belief in the in the broader team and what you're all building. So I think a lot of it is how you lead versus what you're asking the team to do. Um, but of course, the what matters as well. And so I think you also are going to have the really, really strong benefit of just some proof points and evidence, right? Like, do you have somebody in your group or in your team who is who is doing this first or doing this best? And they're at the top of the leaderboard. And, you know, they're the ones that are just having all this success. And we're looking and saying, you know, what is she doing? How can, how can we mirror that? Well, cool. We can mirror it. Here's how, but it's going to take hard work. It's going to take, you know, a bunch of um, conviction and kind of stretching ourselves, but that's the team we are. We're, we're a team that stretches ourselves and, and pushes ourselves. So it's not easy, but if you get in front of your team and you're apprehensive and, and you're unsure, they're going to be apprehensive and unsure. So you got to yeah. be all in and you've got to lead, uh, you know, from the front, front with a bunch of conviction that it's, it's the yeah. path to success. Yeah. I love that. Do I believe it? The other thing you mentioned, I thought was really cool. Cultural stakeholders. Mm. I always talk about how when you're selling internally, it's the same as selling a deal. There's so many similarities. You would never sell without champions. <clears throat> like people on your side, you would never sell by just telling people what to do. You would share a customer story, yes. you know? So sharing stories of other reps having success with the rep, highlighting those people. It's just, there's so many big parts to that. I love that. So you said collaborative. That's something I'm really big on. I find that reps are so much more willing to participate in a process that if they feel like they got a hand in creating. Yes. So yeah. like a lot of what we'll do when I work with the team for the first time is we'll do a messaging workshop and we'll essentially take their best reps and sales leaders and people from marketing, anyone that's going to have input on messaging, which I think a big mistake is letting marketing create the 
sequencing messaging for the sales team. I think it's got to be collaborative. Like everyone's got to participate in it. But now it's like the reps are more bought in because they feel like they had their input. And why wouldn't you want input from reps that are seeing success with it? Like that's the people that you want to really emulate. Oh, yeah. I love that collaborative piece. Is there any other tips that you have around? You said fun team morning. You almost make outbound sound like this awesome. I, I love right? outbound. You know, a lot of people don't, but uh, but fun team morning. Anything else that you do to just? It's such a monotonous activity most of the time. Is there anything else that you do to make it fun, or that you encourage leaders to do? Well, I think that the there are absolutely kind of techniques and tactics within your outbound messaging and the style of your messaging that can make it more fun and and less monotonous for your team. So kind of using like an omni-channel approach where your team is leveraging video tools like a Loom or a, a Vidyard or a Veed to actually not just, you know, pick up the phone and say, hey, Jason, it's Molly Calendly, you know, da 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 robotic, but, you know, where you're actually creating this opportunity for more personal connection in, in a video style. I love, love what people are doing for personalization and yep. really making it as, um, yeah, like fun and unique to the recipient as possible. And now granted, this takes time and I, there are really cool AI tools that can help with this. You know, Sales Lots has some, Reggie AI has, has some, I know Outreach has some, but where it's, very personal to who you're going to send this to. So, you know, for me, I have people send me the most creative stuff, mentioning the University of Florida and the Gators, because I am a Gator, yeah. mentioning my love for baking, because I love to bake, mentioning, you know, things that I can just tell they've really gone the extra mile. And I think that your sales team can have some fun doing that stuff. We have a yeah. channel um, where we have a, a Slack channel internally where the team drops their templates of like the most personalized and how cool was this? And they're using song lyrics or, you know, if, if the person they're reaching out to is an athlete, they're talking about stats. And we just try to really celebrate and make that fun that again, we're not waiting for a closed deal for recognition. We're celebrating the process along the way, which is, hey, if this is what we have to do in order to build pipeline and we got to build pipeline to close deals, well, let's have fun while we do it. Yeah, love it. There's so many good ideas that you dropped in there. Even just something as simple as a Slack channel where, and this has to come from top down, like chief yeah. revenue officer down should be celebrating these wins and like totally. be in that channel engaging. It just, it helps so much. Um, yeah, sharing, and by the way, sharing the templates or the, the emails that we received or the LinkedIn in-mails yeah. that we received that get our attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think yeah. the team also gets pretty excited about that because they're like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go try that now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the the other thing too, this just kind of goes back to talent and, and do you have the right people? And I know you were saying this in jest, like you kind of make outbounding sound like it would be fun. And I, I genuinely think if you have the right people on your team, that it can be, you know, yeah. it, it, it really can be. Um, if it is a box check that I've got to hit my 50 dials, I've got to hit my 50 activities and I'm just going through the motion. Yeah. You're just going through the motion and that's not really fun. But if yeah. you choose and, and you understand this is a critical component to my success and it's one that I can make my own, that I can, you know, create a lot of kind of individualism around, then why would it not be fun? Yeah. And I think that you can create an environment um, that feels more like going to Orange Theory versus yeah. a boot yeah. camp, you know, yeah. where it's like, hey, we can like work really hard and get a lot of shit done, but also do it in a team environment and we can grind together, you know, kind of thing. Um, totally. Yeah. And I one just last note, uh, I'm by no yeah. means preaching toxic positivity. I'm not here, you know, saying that, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just the best part of sales. I just, yeah. you know, if you... If you run and show up and kind of lead your team with that just fire and, and inspiration and excitement, mm -hmm. they're going to feel it. And then it spreads. Yeah. No, totally. hundred percent. As we move into our last topic of like AI and automation, I have to ask you, yeah, what impact do you think AI and automation is going to have on outbound? Like, what do you see outbound being in like three to five years? It's hard to even think... You know, outreach is, I think, about a decade old. It hasn't even, like, sales engagement tools. I remember the first one I used was Tout App. 
That yeah. was in, I want to say 2015 maybe, and you couldn't even thread a follow-up email automated. You had to yeah. manually send it still. That's like only seven or eight years ago, you know? So I can't even yeah. imagine what five years is going to do, but what do you see the future of outbound being and the role of like AI and automation with yeah. outbound? It's a, it's a really good and thoughtful question. I think it is going to continue to evolve and continue to shape, you know, the, the industry as we're already seeing in, you know, again, not a huge amount of time. If we think about really like open AI and chat GPT coming on, um, to the forefront. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's already a bunch of, of tools out there to help write, your email messages, your LinkedIn outreach, right? And I mean, we're already seeing those being heavily leveraged. So to the degree that, you know, that could entirely replace the need for uh, a human to sit down and, and write the email, you know, maybe, but I think um, we're also at the at the part of the journey of AI where you, you still really want to um, check and kind of verify. And so, you know, leverage it to help time save to the, to the extent that it can, but I, I don't think it is a, you know, a full human replacement, certainly at, at this point. Now, what I do love about AI and automation and where I do think sales leaders should just go all in is on productivity metrics and taking those non-revenue generating tasks off your seller's plates to yeah. give them more time to have conversations with executives and your buyers and you know be using their skills as as humans and and not technology so i mean i just think that there's there's so many game changing ways to think about ai and automation and of course i'm am biased because calendly um you know this is really kind of at the the forefront of what we're doing, which is why would you waste time on on scheduling not only a one-to-one -one meeting, but a meeting with multiple people, uh, you know, getting leads to the right seller, getting support tickets to the right support team member. You should be leveraging technology to do all of that for you. And yes, it's going to save time, but connected back to that true value story, time has to equal other things, right? So yep. time equals revenue because your sellers have more time, you know, to, to be in conversations with economic buyers and, and conveying the value of your product or, you know, time savings for a candidate. Okay. Well, that actually means the role sits open for fewer weeks and the impact of this hired person on your business can start sooner. Right. So, um, yeah. I will, I, I will just say that our, our customers have been asking for us to introduce ROI AI, excuse me, into Calendly, not surprising because we are an automation company. And we actually just announced that we have AI powered scheduling solutions coming very, very soon. Um, that I think oh. are going to be just a continued game changer for, already a product backed on automation yeah. that's going to be, you know, even more, even more powerful. Yeah. Let's play devil's advocate for a second. How okay, we have a little it. bit of fun. Okay. So yeah. we mentioned before we hit record, there's the famous Salesforce stat around, I, I don't even know what the most recent was, but it's somewhere around 25%. We could call it of a rep's time is actually spent selling. Yeah. I feel like the time savings argument operates under the assumption that if reps had more time, they would use it on revenue generating mm. activities. Mm. So what do yeah. you think about that? I mean, there's obviously there at some point there's a diminishing return. There's only so much productive time that someone could spend in a day. Yeah. And what do you think about that argument? I guess, you know, of if we remove some of the stuff, will people actually spend it on revenue generating activities? Does it, is it a one-to-one -one thing? If we, if we remove 25% of the admin from a sales rep's day or a week and said, you don't, you no longer have to forecast, you no longer have to do whatever the other stuff is that I don't even know a lot of yeah. times what they're doing. Um, and I guess another question, I'm just going to kind of brain dump yeah. on you here is yeah. how accurate is the surveying and do a lot of reps actually have that extra time in their schedule and they choose either not to use it or is this the way that, I mean, I imagine the, in a survey, if I have to admit that I don't spend that much time selling, it's kind of a easy thing to blame right. all of the other stuff on. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of all of that? I'm not discrediting 
No, the fact that there are, there's not like tools obviously that do help sellers spend more time selling, but I don't know. That's where my mind kind of goes with that. It seems like a variable that we have very little control over. I don't know. Well, I I have a a number of viewpoints. So one, I do think it connects back to the, the culture and the expectation in your sales org. So if we can give sellers more time back by taking these non-revenue generating tools off their plate, then we do need to have a conversation about what are we going to do with that time? What is the expectation of how that time back is spent? Um, And, you know, I think that there certainly is the goal and the, the idea that you are going to have more customer facing interactions. You are going to have more time to, you know, really research the the ICP and spend a lot of time in this persona and just creating a lot of, you know, kind of personal credibility for when you are in front of customers, which I think would be a, a wonderful way to spend that time. Because again, it's, I don't know that it has to be, I, I don't think we can say, I think it would be irresponsible to say that we're going to take uh, a seller's production, let's let's use their OTE as baseline. And if if right now yeah. we we want them to to deliver three X of their OTE, once we give them all these tools, now the expectation is four to five X. You know, I, I don't I don't know that that's really the the measure here. But I think of other measurements like what is the customer, what is the CSAT, the customer satisfaction. Or mm. what is your renewal rate? What is your NPS, your net promoter score? So if yeah. you are getting time back with your prospects and your buyers, then their experiences with you should be net positive and better than when you were kind of bogged down in dealing with scheduling, dealing with forecasting and not having a revenue intelligence platform like a Gong or like a Clary. So yeah, I think we've got to be um, honest with ourselves about what we're going to do with that time. And I think the same is true for sales leaders. You know, let's talk about coaching and development. Let's talk about career pathing. Let's talk about the investment we're making um, to spend time with our people to help them be better than than how we found them. Because I think that's such a huge part of this this job and our responsibility as well as leaders. Yeah. It's it's interesting. This is such a fascinating topic to me because I really believe that AI and automation is going to, it seems to be trending more towards helping people do things themselves and to self-serve. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Sales managers, every sales manager, like team that I work with of sales managers, they just don't spend very much time coaching because the common excuse is that they don't have time, but I kind of look at all the internal meetings they're asked to participate. I'm like, yeah, you really don't have a lot of time actually to coach. Right. And a lot of the automation and the AI seems to be going towards how do we, you know, essentially help the rep self-diagnose and make it easier for them to do the right thing is where it kind of seems to be going. Where it's mm-hmm. like, it's not necessarily a time saver on the monotonous stuff. It's more let's help you make a better decision in less time. Like where I see a gong going is like, what doesn't exist right now is you have all of this great data captured yeah, and you can tell me all the deals. I'm not where I'm single threaded on my team, right? My team's single threaded in these 20 deals out of a hundred. What it doesn't really tell you is what to do with that data. And I'm talking like the tactic. So, um, cool. Typically in your deals, based on our analysis, a VP of sales is typically engaged. Um, have you thought about reaching out to Molly? We've already pulled her phone number and email. It's right here. By the way, here's sort of how we suggest reaching out to to Molly. Um, that I feel like is right kind of in the grasp right now of what AI could do in the next couple years. Like that to me is like, it's not so much a time saver as much as it's like, oh, that could increase the effective, like that could say, hey, 40% of your deals are single threaded and now it's only 20%. That And that could have massive swing on win rates. And then the Calendly piece too, where it's like, it can point out to you, um, hey, we noticed that when you've asked to schedule meetings with buyers in cycle, you're only getting the meeting like 35% of the time. Have you thought about like dropping a scheduling link into these emails? We don't see you doing that. Like, I think it needs to really get to that level for it, for us to really see an ROI off of it. 
Yeah, I opened kind of a whole can of worms now. <laughs> no, but it's, no, I, I, it's yeah. like the, the diagnosis and mm-hmm. then there's the prescription. So it's kind of like we're yeah. in this diagnosis, like, okay, here, here's what we know to be true, whether it yeah. is, um, you know, a no show for, for meetings or, you know, single threaded in deals. But I see what you're saying, which is like, okay, but what about this prescriptive element of what should I do now with this information? And I do yep. think that this is where sales leaders, frontline, second line, third line, you know, have a really powerful role to help connect those dots for the team. Um, you know, when you, and we are enormous fans of Gong, Calendly just announced our partnership with Gong. Yeah. I think that they are so on the forefront for AI. They have a new Gong Engage product. And, you know, we're kind of coming from this shared belief that sales professionals can have the best of both worlds in scheduling automation and revenue intelligence, where you can do all of this in the Gong platform, grab your Calendly link, you know, understand kind of the the open ops and the the outbound prospecting you need to do in your deal cycle. But to your point, a sales leader still should be having deal review and pipeline review and taking that kind of diagnosis and saying, now what are we going to do with this? And and my job, by the way, is to kind of role play that with you. Let's talk through the scenarios. I'll, I'll be, you know, the person on the receiving end or, you know, hold, hold, the seller accountable to, we didn't do any of the stuff we said we were going to do, you know, and like, yeah. we, 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 that can't be the case. So I'm with you. I, I think also the very non, non sexy answer that I just feel like is the reality is it is not only about how to get time back for sellers, but it's about, you know, making the decision at the very top across the executive team of how many people do we need to run the business as as successfully and kind of profitably because that's the goal of a business as we can and that's when i go back to sales and sales leaders saying make yourself irreplaceable make yourself you know so so good and so high in in value that you're you're not going to ever be in consideration of being able to be replaced um and you know that's that's not an easy thing to do but i think again with the right culture with the right coaching and with the right mindset it it can be done love it and with that being said, I did a poor job of time management. We got to run. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> In about 30 seconds. Uh, make sure to go check out Calendly at Calendly.com. Molly, Molly McKinstry, uh, go check out her uh, profile on LinkedIn, connect with her. And is there anything else you want people to do, Molly, uh, after no, listening no. to this episode? I just thank you, Jason. Lo- love the conversation. So interesting. And yeah, you already said it, but please find me on LinkedIn. I uh, would love, love to connect. And if you are already not a Calendly user, uh, you should change that. And we've got a lot of AI and, and really cool features coming. So check us out.